Welcome to Kick Back with Chris. Kick Back with Chris, the martial arts podcast. to you by Martialytics. Easy to use, super powerful management software for your martial arts school. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Kickback with Chris, the martial arts podcast. I've managed to get on two weeks in a row. It's been a while, <laughs> but I've managed to do it. Um, so this week I'm going to be joined by Mr. Gary Turner and we're going to be talking about all things combat sports and head trauma, which is a huge topic for everybody uh, out there in the martial arts and combat world industry. Um, whether you're a student, whether you're an instructor, it's something that we really, really need to be paying attention to. Um, and it would be well worth grabbing yourself a coffee or whatever hot beverage or whatever to type of drink that you like or a snack whatever takes your fancy and having to sit down and listen to this because there's some seriously seriously important information in there too now in other subjects i just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody that actually um it was a bit of a cheeky request for me but you you came through you're awesome listeners okay uh people that have been through clicking the banner on uh, kickback so if you go to kickbackpodcast.com and uh, kicking the kicking <laughs> clicking there's an l there clicking the banner at the top to purchase some of the awesome contents from mitmaster.com uh, from matthew chapman our co-host on the show um because that every single sale that you go through there for, well first of all it benefits you guys because it's amazing contact but secondly it benefits the podcast because we get a percentage of every sale that goes through that banner so please carry on doing that because it really really helps with the costs involved with running the podcast um of which there are many different associated ones which i'm not going to bore you with i'm not going to bore you with but rest assured i'm not going to be going out by myself or rolls royce anytime soon to drive around in it's not about that at all it's just Every single sale that goes through that banner really does help to keep the podcast going. So there, I've done my little sales pitch. And of course, to support our fantastic sponsors, mitmaster.com, as well as martialytics.com, of whom you are all well aware of now, I know, um, who have actually been releasing information on some new features that their system actually provides for martial arts school owners and instructors. So be sure to go check that out too at martialytics.com. Okay. There, got the admin side done. So, yes, today um, we're going to be joined by Mr. Gary Turner. Now, I'm actually going to get straight into that interview pretty quick because it, it's amazing content. And uh, with all the interviews that come on, we have guests. Sometimes they'll chat for 20 minutes or so. Sometimes it's a bit longer. And this is one of the longer ones. And I didn't want to cut down the content too much because I think it's really, really important information that you know all instructors, coaches, students should really, really be aware of. Um, and, and, I, and I say that in a in a responsible way, not in a sort of trying to poke and, and, and cause any controversy. Um, I think it's a subject that, you know, you've only got to look at the way football and rugby are, are going and, and, you know, boxing is a perfect example at the moment. And it's not me to say that, no, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be doing those activities, but we need to be responsible and we need to be thinking of uh, the, the effects that these contact elements of these different activities are having on our students and on ourselves. Um, and that's something that we do discuss in depth over a, it's about an hour, give or take. So without further ado, I think it's probably time that we get straight into the interview with Gary. Um, as I say, get yourself settled in. Um, it's uh, it's in-depth. 
but it's really, really important content. Lots to think about, and I'll catch you on the other side. You're listening to Kickback with Chris, the martial arts podcast, brought to you by www.onlinekicking.co.uk. Okay, guys, so joining me on the phone now for what is, I know, going to be a really interesting conversation after the amount of people that have been contacting me. We've got Mr. Gary Turner. How are we doing today, sir? I'm doing really well, thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. And hopefully me being on, just chatting to you in, in real life will be good enough to improve my kicks because I am <laughs> massively impressed with your kicking ability, to say the least. And I wish I could just kick with one thousandth of your ability. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching your videos. Uh, the uh, I, I completely and utterly geek out on the kinematics and biomechanics of how you throw it and the efficiency that you have with your physiology. To show my geek, uh, oh my I, I really like it. <laughs> Somebody that's into it as much as me. <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to have you back on another time so we can talk about the finer points of biomechanical kicking and everything because... <laughs> I could talk about that all day long, but no, more importantly, today we're here to talk about a really, really important subject for a number of different reasons, which is um, head trauma, with specifically within a sort of a combat sport environment being the topic of this podcast. Um, but before we get right into that, could we go right back to the beginning? Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you first got into the martial arts, maybe what prompted it, and some of your history, because I know it's quite extensive. I'll do my best to give a potted history. Um, started with judo on my sixth birthday, uh, 1976. Uh, started competing. Uh, I was an international at the age of 11. Uh, carried on with judo through to I was 21. Uh, went back and got my second damn black belt in it. I was British schools judo team. And that was my origins. So judo was my origins. Wow. Uh, mixed in with that with uh, traditional jiu-jitsu, Japanese-style jiu-jitsu. Uh, which followed through at the same time. And then a couple of kickboxers, a couple of Kung Fu fighters, Lao Gar Kung Fu fighters turned up at the judo club uh, who've become very, very good friends of mine. And I talked them into going to the French multinations in Compiègne, um, even though they'd only done judo for three months. And obviously oh. they lost up against international players but they actually didn't do too bad um they said right you've come and done you've come and done um we've come and done one of your shows one of your competitions you gotta come and give ours a go so i took up <laughs> lao gar kung fu um which was with kevin Brewerton. okay um which was less kung fu more points kickboxing the good old sports karate origin yep. days um, turned out I was particularly bad at points kickboxing, uh, excessive contact being called all the time. Um, so that became light continuous, uh, which became full contact, which became low kick, which then became K1. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's the kickboxing development moving through there, which then became tie boxing because I just took on any sort of offer <laughs> to, uh, to go and fight. Um, also, back in the early 90s, um, I started fighting for the sport jiu-jitsu team, went around the world fighting sport jiu-jitsu, one of the forerunners to mixed martial arts. Uh, I competed at the inception and development of mixed martial arts in the UK uh, on Lee Hasdall's shows. Uh, I went back and forth for cage rage at short notice uh, and had a few more MMA fights in the noughties. But basically, my career highlights are 13 world titles across kickboxing, Thai boxing and sport jiu-jitsu. I was British team, UK champion or British champion at judo, um, Wushu Kwan and K1. I was an international shoot fighter. Um, 
I was technically Britain's second international mixed martial artist when I won that one. Uh, wow. I was the second because one of Sandy Holt and Master Skin students was lighter weight than me. Uh, we fought in Rimini and he was on before me. So he got the, he got the tab there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, basically I've had uh, quite a long career. Uh, it's been uh, seen to me, take me, it's taken me around the world. Uh, I had a lot of good sights, a lot of good experiences. And basically, if someone yeah. just gave me a challenge, I'd, I'd, I'd take it. You can remember what it's like in the old days. If someone asked us to do something, we just did it. There's no protected yeah. careers. We just tried everything. Uh, for example, I got a phone call uh, from Joe Long who said, Gary, do you want to do the uh, 10K karate challenge? Uh, I've never done karate before in my life. So I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> And I lost, uh, I think it's Paul Newby, uh, world bronze medalist. Oh, yeah. I lost 3-2 to Paul. Um, and I, I was obviously a lot bigger and stronger and a lot um, uh, longer than him. So we had a little bit of uh, fun trying to work out. Uh, and he handled me quite nicely. I had my ass handed to me. But yeah, it was, it's, you know, we, we, we used basically, there's no protected titles, no protected careers. We just did things just for the sake of it and because they were fun. Absolutely. So it's fair to say that you've done a little bit then. I've worked out that I've had over a thousand competitive bouts. Wow. Crikey. And if you work out that in, in every round, um, we're likely to take between 10 and 20 head impacts. Shh. It's a wonder my brain is still operating and not mush. Mm. So actually, interesting on that point, what, what, when did you first get an interest in, in this particular area, the, the head trauma, is it something that you've, you've always been interested in? Maybe um, was there a particular incident that sparked that, that interest? <laughs> I got tagged. Um, I, get, I get known online sometimes as the credible Hulk because I back up my range <laughs> of facts and figures. Uh, I don't speak on the internet unless I've got the full information to support it. Um, so it's a, uh, I got tagged by a friend of mine who I did judo with, who was a student of a professor, Eric Anderson. Mm. And on a, a, a conditioning forum, Eric was saying that allowing children to be hit in the head in combat sports was child abuse. Okay. So I got called in basically to go in there and uh, counter his views. And so, so I went there and found that he was incredibly engaging and could talk on two levels. One, at the level of the people with two brain cells rubbed together in a very blunt and precise way <laughs> and a highly entertaining way as well. And the other with the technical side of it as well for geeks like me. Mm. So I gave myself two weeks to go away, research it a little bit more and to come back to prove him wrong. Unfortunately, I came back and everything that he'd been saying about head trauma, um, he was actually being very conservative with it. Mm. Um, I had to go back and say he's actually holding back on what he could say here. Um, I then had a, for about a year, year and a half, lots of conversations with Eric and he's pushing me to do a doctorate. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing, pushing late 40s now. Uh, I'm 51 now, uh, pushing late 40s. Uh, I'm not sure if going back to uni, you know, is what I want to do. I'm not sure. He said, well, look, come and sit in on my sociology of sports semester. Uh, and uh, you know, see, see, see if you like it. So every Friday, I go and sit in a three-hour lecture 
uh, for a whole semester on sociology of sport. And I was gobsmacked at how little I knew that I needed to about mm. sport. Um, and I struck up a friendship with Eric and very quickly uh, um, uh, I put a proposal together with him uh, to do a PhD um, and ended up having to do, I think it was about 500 hours worth of research that I did and just getting my uh, proposal together. Uh, which was accepted past the interview as a mature student. Gulp. I hate saying that. It makes wow. me sound really old. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I started my doctorate. So I'm doing it in the behavioural effects of head impacts in combat sport athletes. Okay. It's a multidisciplinary PhD uh, by by nature. Um, it covers so many areas. So I could say that I'm doing a, a PhD in behaviour. I could say I'm doing it in um, sports science. I could say I'm doing it in psychology uh, because every element of it is uh, all caught up in the mix. Um, mm. But basically, it it covers every area of my work from psychology, psychological change, performance, through to uh, um, uh, basically what I've done to my own head, uh, my, my, my friends and my peers, and, and, and what we're all doing to each other, and most importantly, what we can do about it. Mm, yeah, that's, a, that's the key thing. I mean, I think with martial arts is, uh, in, in particular, um, we, we tend to lean quite heavily, uh, and this is, this is just my opinion, I'm not saying this is for sure, but... From my experience, we tend to lean quite heavily on, well, this is how we've always done it. So this should be OK. Um, and we do lean on that quite heavily, I found. I mean, thankfully, there has been some change, um, but there are still some people training in the old way, shall we say, because that's what they've always done and it's worked for them. Or using tradition as, a, as an excuse. Well, this is what my instructor did and my instructor's instructors did. So we need to carry that on. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, things, things need to move on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the way that the combat sports have moved on. Uh, combat sports has been like we get taught by an instructor, we become an instructor, we teach yeah. what the instructor taught us, maybe put our own little personality on it. Um, and unfortunately, when we start scrutinising things, what we think is true turns out not to be. Yeah. For example, the so-called sporting ideals. Everyone knows that martial arts in increases discipline and team building and all the rest of it until you actually study it and find out, no, it doesn't. In <laughs> fact, in many cases, it can detract. Um, and it turns out that where there are benefits of doing these sports, it is purely with a coach. So yeah. it's the coach's individual ability that brings the sporting ideals mm -hmm. uh, and not, uh, 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 not the actual sport in practice itself. So in the sport in practice itself can actually be detrimental to people. It's, it's quite worrying once you, once you look at what you hold true. Uh, no, I, I, I hold being, being correct really close to my heart. So I very quickly have learned to uh, change my opinions with new data. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and the thing is now in, in today's age, and I, this has come up in so many different conversations and, and, and topics across the years. You know, we're all walking around now with these little pocket information systems in our, you know, ready to go. We've got these smartphones with infinite access to, to yeah. information out there. You know, um, and again, not to skew things too much, but going back to what we were talking about at the, the start with the, you know, my fascination for, for kicking. The way that I used to stretch as a child and as a, and a, as a teen is completely different now because we were always taught, you know, we do this type of stretching and this is how we've done it. And now what we actually know is that that is really not very good for you. So yeah. now I don't now I don't do that anymore. And I'd still get to this day. I'll go to teach workshops and I'll get people going, oh, 
do you, do you not do this, this, and this? And it's like, well, no, that's probably why your instructor and instructor instructor is hobbling around with a cane now. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. just because that's how they did it doesn't mean it's right. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with looking into things and going, you know, critical view and saying, look, just because I've been told this is good, is it good? You know, that doesn't make you, you know, a bad student. Um, so I, I could see how that could relate you know, to, to this situation as well. You know, I, I remember as a, as a kid getting cracked. And um, I remember one time uh, get caught, got caught with a beauty of a spinning hook kick. Yeah. Definitely knocked me out, even if it was only for a short period of time. And I remember the instructor's response was, and again, this is the 1980s, so I'm not being critical of him at all. It was a different time. It was, oh, you know, nice one, lad. If you can take that, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Picked we, me up, we, dusted we, me down, back in, carry on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've grown up in this hyper-masculine culture of sucking up buttercup. You know, uh, it's like uh, being able to take damage and take impact is seen as a, a prize, something to mm. aspire to doing, which is which is absolutely complete and utterly stupid. Um, you know, it's, it, it scares me now, um, knowing what I know now, the practices that we used to do. I mean, Friday afternoons, I used to go have a shin kick. Uh, Thai boxing, Shinkit Mai Thai in Woking. Um, it used to be called Big Boy Sparring. Originally, they had a heavyweight and they needed a sparring partner. So uh, they gave me a shout to go over and do some sparring. And it was great. And then other super heavyweights would turn up and we, we would have just this mashing session for an hour every Friday between 4 and 5 p.m. Um, mm. And then lighter fighters came came over but they were still big boys uh, in the hyper-masculine sense of it because they could take the impact and we basically mash each other for an hour every Friday. And we did this week in, week out for years. Um, it's absolutely, completely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, knowing what we know now, we know that every single impact that we have to the head creates brain damage. Right. That brain damage takes away from our performance ability. Mm. So literally, if you're doing sparring, particularly hard sparring, and you're taking hits to the head, it's like taking three steps forward in ability, but then two steps backward because you'll no longer be able to react in the way that you did before. Mm. It's, it's, you know, it's why, not, why not develop new novel training that's actually more focused? Uh, there is no need to do head impact in sparring, save that for competition. There are other ways of learning how to respond appropriately to stimuli. Uh, okay. And that's what our sport is. It's an interactive sport where we, we respond to the stimuli that's coming. There's sensation, incoming sensory input. We then perceive it uh, and process it, perception that dictates our resultant action. So elite athletes, elite combat sports athletes have really good focus and attention to detect the right sensory input. Okay. We then process it correctly and select the correct response, yep. sensation, perception, and resultant action. Once we look at what's actually required to be a top combat sports athlete, we can actually train appropriate for it. And you get to realize that actually repetitive head impacts is detracting from that ability rather than adding to it. Yeah, I mean, wow, so many different directions I can go from this one now. My brain's buzzing. Yeah. Um, okay, so I mean... If we if we look at I mean just uh, from my own curiosity here this question, um, obviously with, with martial arts being so varied and the, again there's different approaches you know 
has there been any studies done into the, the the different types of impact? Because if you look at somebody, for example, in judo getting thrown at the ground with the yeah. the, the, the the sudden stops there, versus you know you know somebody working uh, points fighting, taking repetitive but lighter shots to the head, arguably potentially, all the way through to you know full contact scenarios, are are all equally as dangerous in different ways or? Yes, they are. Right. So, uh, interestingly, judo, a little bit less so because although the body moves, the head doesn't tend to move as much, although mm-hmm. there is still the biomechanical force transfer from the bodies that go through to the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's worth describing the, the or, or defining um, what brain damage is, what brain injury is, and then what concussions are. Because without definitions, people will have varied ideas as to what we're, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So brain damage is when there's... Um, uh, injury at a, um, uh, a cellular level, which may not actually uh, create an injury, a dysfunction to behavior. So think of damage as having a bink in the car, mm. a paint chip in the car. That's damage. It doesn't actually affect the car's performance, but there's damage there nonetheless. Yeah. Now, if that starts to rust in yeah. time, that damage can have later life effects on the, the nature of that car. If you start giving that wing a good kick in and it gets dented, now it's not performing aerodynamically as good and you start getting dysfunction uh, to um, uh, the performance of that car. That will be injury. So damage is when we basically uh, uh, interfere with uh, the, the cellular level. And when we then get dysfunction, that is known as injury. Mm. So traumatic brain injury is when we get a dysfunction uh, of behavior. Um, when it becomes um, large enough that we can detect signs and symptoms of it, signs being observable things, wobbly legs and such like, mm-hmm. symptoms in the subjectively experienced, such as headaches, then we can call it concussion. Yeah. So damage is when we're getting uh, uh, um, dysfunction at a cellular level. There's actual damage taking place to structures, uh, um, breaking connections and such like. Um, when it then starts creating dysfunction in behavior, that's traumatic brain injury. Uh, and concussion is when we start to experience the signs and symptoms of it. But even just to let you know the level of it, Every impact to the head, every shock to the head creates brain damage Mm. that very quickly aggregates or if that impact is large enough just in a single impact to create traumatic brain injury and the effects of it. Think of it like a, a power bar in a computer game, the good old uh, street yes. fighting game, whatever you've got power bar. You, know, you can have a high magnitude hit and bam, your, your, your uh, 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 sort of energy levels deplete really quickly. Or you can have lots of little hits and it depletes slower but more yeah. rapidly. Yeah, And there's going to be yeah. a point, bam, now we're getting that dysfunction, we're getting that injury, um, we're, we're, we're getting the wobbly legs, we're getting the headaches, um, and it's affecting us adversely. We know that even just six headers of a football or six spot kicks of a football or even fast cuts and turns on a football field is enough for testable signs uh, of traumatic brain injury to be uh, to be noted. Wow. Uh, 
quite uh, scarily, um, the, the, what the literature basically shows is that every hit harms. Uh, mm. The brain cannot take the strain. Every hit harms. And if we remind ourselves of that, every hit harms. It doesn't matter if it's a glance in blow. It doesn't matter if it's an impact to the body that then creates head movements. It doesn't matter if it's our head hit in the body. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's a high impact or a low impact. Every hit in combat sports creates that harm. Mm. And unfortunately, we can't get away from that. It's what we now know. Absolutely. And I mean, everybody out there listening now that's frantically, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, um, I think it's it's fair to say that, you know, well, not, not everybody. I think there's going to be a lot of instructors out there and people that, you know, probably didn't realize. Um, but obviously now knowing what we know, what sort of steps as an industry do you think we should now be sort of preemptively taking? Because you don't have to look at, you know, like football and rugby and other sports and the media coverage that's going to appear. You know, what, what steps could we be taking as an industry to, to sort of put things in place? Well, we needed to have done this back from 2012. Um, there's a, a classic legal case and a classic set of papers by Thorpe, um, which states that if we haven't got concussion and head injury protocols in place and act on them since 2012, then we are failing in our duty of care as coaches, organisations, stakeholders and such like. And therefore, we're open to litigation. Mm. Um, which is why um, with the BKC, I've been working with the BKC on developing their, their, their head injury protocols because they're quickly realising, heck, we've got to get this in place and quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, we're at risk of, you know, if, if, if there are individual instructors and you don't have a head injury protocol uh, and don't know how to enforce it uh, and utilise it, then you're at risk of litigation for failing to meet a duty of care, a legal duty of care to uh, uh, our clients. So on that level of loan, on an individual uh, basis, there's a duty of care and litigation that is at risk. So we need to make sure that we have these head injury protocols in place. Um, and the classic case is ignorance is no defence. Mm. We are the responsible people carrying it out. We have to make ourselves aware of the risks and we have to make ourselves aware of how to mitigate their risk, either through removal or mitigation techniques. Now, the only way that we can mitigate head impacts is by removing them. Right. Um, light contact still creates brain damage. Um, head guards can actually make brain damage worse for a host of reasons. Large gloves can make it worse. Uh, the more hits we take and the higher the magnitude, the worse that damage and injury gets. Uh, it's not reversible. Um, there is an element of repair of brain damage, but we never fully recover from any single mm. hit. And that can have later life effects. So right from the word go, we need to understand we've got this duty of care uh, with a low hanging fruit. Uh, litigation is, is almost a given. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Um, in rugby, uh, last summer throughout lockdown, I was talking with the lawyer uh, and uh, uh, Alex Popham uh, from rugby, 
in respect to the, rugby, the forthcoming rugby litigation, which has now started, yeah. uh, and rugby doesn't have a leg to stand on, uh, unfortunately. Um, and combat sports uh, are, are low-hanging fruit. Uh, my scholarly team members have been kicking off about rugby in schools. Uh, we tackle rugby and compulsion for kids to play for quite a few years. Since 2016, they wrote their paper. They hit quite a lot of publicity there. Yeah. Uh, we uh, the scholarly team have been involved in uh, pressurising the FA uh, in respect to headers and children. So first thing we need to do is recognise every hit harms and we need to remove as many impacts as we possibly can to protect our clients, to meet our legal duty of care, whilst still being able to participate in our sport. Yeah. And that's where the fun side comes in. Yeah. So. We need to then recognize the red flags of traumatic brain injury. We need to have concussion protocols in place. We need to recognize, remove, uh, assess, um, and, and then basically, you know, for example, uh, there's, there's concussion protocols being uh, developed um, in respect to the combat sports based on a, uh, an international consensus statement that will be updated later on this year or next, um, which means that basically if you get a concussion, just, just think about this, everyone listening, we've all been concussed if we're in the combat sports. We've yeah. all had a headache, wobbly legs or whatever, our bells rung, so to speak. That's concussion. That's traumatic brain injury that we're never going to recover from. Yeah. So the first thing that we need to do is complete and utter rest physical and cognitive mental for 24 to 48 hours. Mm. So the first thing we should do if we get a heavy hit that causes any signs or symptoms of concussion is to rest for 24, 48 hours. We then need to have a gradual increase in returning to life first. So your day-to-day -day life, cooking, cleaning, housework, moving, only at a rate and pace where symptoms do not return they don't mm. increase and they continue to improve. Then a gradual return to work or school. And then only when then we can do that, we then return as a graduated return to physical activity with aerobic activity first, then regaining motor control uh, and graduated return to sport. And only when we're cleared by an appropriately experienced and qualified medical practitioner, a return to actual play and taking impacts again. Mm. How many of us have done that? No, no. You go back to what I said <laughs> earlier on about getting cracked in the head, sparked out dusted down nice one took that well lad crack on yeah. and I, I, mean, I was all of maybe 10 years old <laughs> yeah I, mean, I remember fighting uh i think it was matt skelton um for, for in k1 and i got mashing i think it was wka magazine that, that said it most that turner felt out of his weight i was 88 and a half kilos at that time fighting super yeah. heavyweight and um, he threw everything that he had against skelton including a lovely right leg head kick Unfortunately, he had all the effects of a fly hitting a truck windscreen. Oh, dear. Which was a great description of it. I got mashed. I was so heavily concussed after that. I had headaches, I had vision troubles, whatever. Hey, but I still drove home and I was still oh. sparring the next day. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, what the heck? What an idiot. But we, the culture's changing. Mm. We know more now than we did before. Now, off, off, off air, um, I mentioned that 
uh, disease, all disease states, it's a complex interplay yeah. between person and how that person moves through their environment. Mm. So in other words, it's, it's an individual effect. So, for example, I might have a particularly thick skull and a very small brain that's well cushioned. Therefore, I might be better placed to take impacts than other people. Um, I might have one heck of a lot of connections so that when the connections are broken, I can still function uh, just perhaps a little bit slower than before. Mm. Uh, I might be genetically, I might not have any of the 93 genetic markers that predispose me towards getting the worst side of effects from TBI, from traumatic, traumatic brain injury. But you can't get away from it. I was taking twats to the head, a good old northern term to twat. I, twat <laughs> I was getting twatted in the head, using that northern, northern term, uh, repetitively, completely and utterly getting mashed, and then just cracking on with it. Yeah. We can't do that now. Yeah. We know I mean, different. Absolutely. I mean, uh, people that have been listening to this podcast for a, you know any amount of time will know that I've long standing been a proponent for tighter regulation and um, more requirements of instructors uh, from a training and legality perspective. And I think now, having you know spoken to yourself, it sounds to me like there needs to be a requirement for more training in this specific area as well. Because if you think, I mean, I, I joke, but you know, for a lot of instructors, we're actually more qualified in first aid than we are in coaching. And and then you think we only go and do a refresher every three years. Um, this sort of thing, is, I mean, with complete respect to the, the the team that I go and do the first day training with, it is is they don't really spend much time in this area, yeah, um, because they've got so much other stuff that they need to cover. But it it sounds to me like there is definitely scope and requirement for a deeper understanding from from you know coaching instructor perspective you know one to one to keep our you know clients and students safe but one so that we have the knowledge to keep ourselves safe as well as professionals completely completely um it's it's quite shocking um so to give you an idea there is a lot of research into you know everyone tells me oh everybody knows the risks but we don't. The research shows that, that the combat sports do not have a scooby when it comes to the risks. Uh, the recent death of the female boxer, everyone's saying it's a tragic accident. No, it's not an accident. Mm. It's expected. It's by design of the sport. Mm. Uh, referees, a paper I've got in for the uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine at the moment um, is for a fight to be stopped at concussion so it's towards a fair and objective rationale for referee stoppages in combat sports so the moment you see signs and symptoms of concussion the traumatic brain injury is already advancing um, mm. it is already developing and will continue to unfold and at that point you should stop the match that is a fair and objective rationale um, Put it this way, for example, if the legs go, that's a sign of a neurological deficit, a focal yeah. neurological deficit. And if you present to uh, an accident emergency uh, uh, department with wobbly legs uh, or say you've got wobbly legs, you'll be immediately rushed in for an emergency CT scan under nice guidance. Yeah. Um, that's how serious wobbly legs are. You, know, yeah. you might have a catastrophic brain bleed taking place. Um, so, we, you know, we need we need to have training. Um, so the, the knowledge, the understanding and the reporting intentions in respect to traumatic brain injury in combat sports. The evidence is clear. We just don't have a Scooby. Mm. Now, set that in a backdrop of the medical attention. 
a, a peer of mine, uh, uh, one of my one of my leading peers, he's fantastic, doing some great work. Uh, Alex Chan from Brighton University. He's been doing a lot of research into medical attention in combat sports, and it is woefully lacking. You've got unqualified medical personnel. You've got under uh, um, you, you've got medical personnel turning up without the necessary equipment or the numbers of people. You've got medical personnel not being given the authority to carry out their jobs. You've got medical personnel being uh, overruled by promoters on what they were calling. Um, mm. You've got a lack of medical um, uh, uh, attention full stop in our sport. So, you know, we, we've got a lack of knowledge combining with a lack of uh, uh, appropriate medical attention. Um, you know, combat sports are on a, on a road to self-destruct and we need to wake up rather than stick our heads in the sands, mm. deal with all this quickly. We're already at risk of litigation since 2012. Yeah. If we've not got all this in place. Um, and for example, the first legal uh, thing that we need is to have informed consent. So it's not just consent to getting your head twatted. It's informed consent as to what that head twatting is going to be doing. Um, and it's just not there at the moment. Yeah. Um, we cannot compete in combat sports without informed consent to the harm. The inf information must be passed over. Um, and it's, it's not new. Martland in 1928 termed it punch drunk. Yep. Mills Power in 1937 then changed it to Dementia Pugilistica. And it was Bowman and Blow in 1940 that coined the term chronic traumatic encephalopathy, more commonly known as CTE, popularized yep. in the Will Smith film Concussion. Um, basically, uh, long term brain decay through getting twatted. <laughs> I love that northern term. That might be the podcast title, actually. I might call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we need to do a lot more we've got to wake up before you know it was in i think it was in uh, 94 there's a parliamentary vote as to whether to uh, uh declare boxing illegal and it failed to be declared illegal by only four votes um wow. and the it, it came through with um uh caveats placed on it to do with harm and correct sporting endeavors taking place and unfortunately what we know now about brain injury um uh, we, we exceed that criteria and if it goes back to parliamentary vote we may see boxing being banned mm. however here's another thing for you um it's amazing what happens when you start looking into consent and the offenses against the person act the law commission reviewed this in 1995 and Boxing is not deemed illegal yet, but that doesn't mean to say it is actually legal. Okay. So we've got this libertarian uh, yeah. uh, perspective uh, on law in the UK that we can do something until it's deemed not to be illegal. Uh, <laughs> bare knuckle boxing is deemed illegal. Um, so have concerns for, for that, the legality of that. Um, boxing, because it's a properly run sporting event, uh, has a, a period of case law behind it, uh, which means it is legal to participate. However, in 1995, the Law Commission review on consent and the Offences Against the Person Act stated that kickboxing and tie boxing are likely illegal 
because they do not have the case law that boxing expressly uh, that, that, that expressly supports boxing. Wow. And in the 2015 update on that, the situation did not change. So wow. we've got to be really careful with what we do. We've got to, we've got to pull our fingers out. Otherwise, we're, we're going to be, uh, um, you know, stuck. Absolutely. I mean, what's I mean, this is a subject I actually brought up on my last episode because uh, I'd, I'd been away from the podcast for a, for a while. Um, and I listeners will know I always like to be candid and sort of you know honest with with what I've got going on and how it impacts the podcast and other stuff that I've got going on with my own school and you know I've for um many a years I've diagnosed with a neurological condition called cluster headaches which is it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rubbish term it's a little bit like describing being run over by a bus as having a bit of a bump um to call them headaches is is a bit of an understatement but I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that this condition was brought on for me um, in part by my training, the, the type of training I was doing as a child, um, because they're not something that we see heavily or at all in my family. And it's, it's usually a, a condition that's passed down for those that, don't, that aren't involved in any you know, sort of contact based activities. And for me, they just sort of popped out of nowhere in my teens. Um, I say nowhere around the sort of time I was repeatedly getting kicked in the head with very little protective equipment on. And then looking into it more, it would seem that this is something that's happening to to, to more and more people. Um, again, I posted on the the group this morning about this particular interview, and it sparked more replies than than most. And one of them, which I have permission to read, actually checked with the chap, uh, Mr. Mark Riddler, and this is what he posted. He said, um, I must admit that I had never given too much thought to this subject. That is until I suffered a TBI, and I'm now nearly two years later. I've still got uh, post-concussion syndrome. Training has greatly helped my ability to relearn to speak and other associated concussion issues. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. You know, um, so it's affecting people, you know, myself, yeah. Mark, other people out there. Um, you know, are we starting to see now um, the effects of, I mean, martial arts and combat sports, have, I think it's fair to say, have really picked up in interest over the last sort of 30 years. Are we yeah. starting to see the, the effects now? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, well, we've always seen the effects. You know, Martland's 1928 paper on punch drunk yes. syndrome, uh, the collection of behaviours that boxers are exhibiting, pugilists, yeah, were uh, yeah. exhibiting. We've always known about these long-term effects. Uh, I get quite often, uh, Gary, you're doing a doctorate. I'm like, yeah, compared to what? I have impulsivity issues. I have ADHD <laughs> issues. Uh, I have uh, my, 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 my supervisory team will charge a psychologist and neuropsychologist. They're saying, Gary, you're on the autistic spectrum. Get back out of that rabbit hole. Uh, you know, all, all of this is like compared to what? So every hit, for example, creates brain damage. And very quickly, if not that individual hit, injury, in other words, dysfunction. Mm. Um, we might have uh, more than one connection between our little brain cells and every hit breaks connections, which means we can still communicate, but it takes a little bit longer. So our performance is starting to suffer because it's taking us longer to do things. If we get injury to particular areas of the brain, for example, the hippocampus, and therefore we're getting memory issues, we're getting short-term memory issues. Oh, I can't, I can't remember that. We're getting mood disorders coming through. We're getting um, uh, uh, depression, anxiety. We're more likely to have um, uh, impulsivity issues. 
we may have uh, uh, brain stem damage creating shakes and lack of motor neuron control. Uh, all of this leads to the earlier onset, more rapid development of neurodegenerative diseases. We're talking mm. Alzheimer's, Parkinsonism, ALS, other motor neuron diseases and such like. So okay. it's happening now and it's continuing to happen. Um, it's, it doesn't just mean that we are uh, aware of it, although from a single concussion, at least 30% of those who suffer a single concussion, and that's observable signs and subjectively experienced symptoms of concussion, 30% still have them after one year. Wow. Which is oh, yeah. shocking. It shows the extent of it. Now, to put it into context, uh, <laughs> the combat sports industry, and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm dismayed and disgusted at some of the research in boxing, for example, that shows um, there's one study that basically shows that for the entire England boxing squad at amateur level, in a five-year period, there are only five recorded concussions. Oh. <laughs> there, there are more members of the squad knocked out in that period. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. just shows there's a lack of understanding as to what concussions are, a lack of reporting intention, and a lack of appropriate medical attention and recording. So in the context of that, Bernick uh, et al. in 2020, there's a, a continuing professional fighters brain health study being done, part funded by Bellator uh, I think Gloria paying for it as well. Uh, the UFC are paying for it, running out of Vegas. Uh, they're basically showing that you get brain atrophy, brain decay, clearly evident over uh, the course of a season, uh, just one year of, of, of professional boxing. Mm. Uh, wow. And a recent paper by them, uh, they studied 60 professional fights, of which there were 30 boxing, and there were 30 mixed martial arts. They've got a bunch of trained medical practitioners and a, a bunch of trained non-medical practitioners, but trained to spot the observable signs of concussion. Okay. 78%, which is 47 out of those 60 fights, showed that people were suffering concussions. Oh. Now, recovery from concussions is not recovery from that injury it's a rerouting taking place and the injury yeah. still continues to unfold in the background some of them actually experienced three or more concussions during the course of the fight now 30 oh. percent of those who receive a concussion are still experiencing concussion signs and symptoms a year after that event 78 percent of all competitive fights result in concussion. Oh. This is the situation that we've got. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and just out of interest, uh, the reason why you've got to protect the head is that the more, more hits to the head we get in training, the more likely we are to suffer concussion, the more likely we are to, to be stopped with a TKO, the more likely we are to be knocked out. Uh, basically, uh, in 98% of the fights where concussion occurred, the fighter who sustained the first concussion ultimately lost. Wow. <laughs> so in other, in other words, it is in our own interest in training not to take these hits to the head. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Some of these started, 
we're starting to see um, some, I can't remember the name. That's one of my problems is I'm remembering names of people now. Um, um, that's a side effect of, of, unfortunately, you know, dealing with the condition I've had. I've noted over the years, my ability to recall names is, is, is depleting. It's, you know, it's getting worse with, with every passing year. But um, I remember there's been some high profile fighters have actually come out and said that they've, they've removed hard um, sparring from their training. Yeah. Know, yeah. They, you know, that, they're only actually it's only either in the ring or the cage is that's the only point remember there was one particular yeah. fighter with it, i think it was in the ufc who took a bit of flack for it uh, yeah. and then actually performed amazingly well and everyone went hmm maybe there's a point to this <laughs> yeah and then it goes back to the age-old culture of oh but but we need to spar and all the rest of it actually no we don't we need that that that, that appropriate response to stimulus um for example um just to let you know what I learned from the two weeks with guidance from, from, from Eric, my professor, um, way back when I first met him, um, was enough to stop me immediately having head impacts for those under 16. I very quickly learned that under the child welfare legislation and all policy, um, a child is actually those under 18. And by policy definition by the NSPCC and the Child Protection Sport Unit of the NSPCC, by their definitions, it's actually child abuse to allow a child yeah. to be struck in the head, uh, which they agree with. Um, I've had discussions with them and they say it's going to take as long as safeguarding to actually filter through because of the culture in sport. Uh, it was a good 10 years before, you know, after safeguarding was brought in where it got to an acceptable level and it still needs to be vastly improved upon. And the child of Bruce from head impacts is going to take a lot longer. Uh, and then when I was doing my uh, um, research to get my proposal together for my PhD, um, I stopped all adults and or any any one of my classes from receiving head impacts including professional fighters because i learned it was detrimental to performance so we wow. body box and part of my research is to find out the effect of body boxing um to find out the effects of body boxing on the brain compared to sparring uh, uh, and the brain to see what uh, uh you know, whether we can still continue you know what the effects are of body boxing um, sure. I get a lot of um, uh, I do a lot of super slow motion work uh, with instead of sparring. So we, we, we fight at like 10 percent speed. Okay. So we don't have the impacts. So in doing so, what we're doing is gaining motor neuron control, literally control on the techniques that we're throwing. We're mm. gaining control of the time and space and distance of actually connecting with the appropriate target and giving us the control to abort, of course, if necessary. And then we speed that up a little bit more. Uh, I'm doing things where one person reacts at full speed, but with no actual contact, and one person's at 50% speed, giving that person time to see the jab coming out, appropriately select and assess all the information coming in, and appropriately then react with control. So we're developing novel ways of, 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 of training that should it needs experimental. What we think to be true may not be true until tested. So we're looking at looking at yeah. gaining new ways of working. Um, because of my psychology work, I do a lot of mental rehearsal with athletes. Uh, and you know how many combat sports athletes are doing mental training? Yeah, mm. you can actually improve strength. So strength is uh, uh, how much 
uh, motor neuron recruitment, how much of the muscle that we can recruit for an action, just by training through your mind, through the power of imagination, through the power of firing your brain up and the motor cortex yeah. up, just through imagining moves, Absolutely. you can actually increase your strength. You can actually train the brain to recruit more of the muscle in an action. Um, mental training should be a mainstay of every elite athlete, but it's almost unheard of in the combat sports. So sparring is detrimental to performance overall. Um, and there are perhaps much better ways that need to be developed of, of, of allowing us to then compete with informed consent at the highest possible level. Well, that was actually you've, you've tied that up nicely because I was about to ask, you know, for all the school owners out there that are perhaps sat now having the coffee thinking, oh God, <laughs> what am I yeah, gonna yeah. do? You know, what what you know, what policies or what changes could they make? But I think you've actually just answered that with that, that last part, you know. Um I think a start point for a lot of people is just just be a little bit more aware and and to do you know do some research read up on the information that's out there um and and look at what policies and procedures they can put in place because if this can happen in you know the the litigation and the the changes that are coming in football and have happened in football and rugby where the primary goal of those activities isn't to hit each other in the head or the body as some you know activity providers where that is primarily what we're aiming to do we've got to have stuff in place we've got yes. to we've got to we can't just pretend it's not going to happen because it, it it's coming down the road and i think if anything unfortunately um the situation with coronavirus and the increased amount of local authority visits to gyms i think is probably going to speed this process up because i think they've had their eyes open to the uh, the situation that we, we were presenting that maybe they weren't initially yeah i mean it's quite telling the the professional fighters brain health study taking place in nevada at las vegas um is really telling what it's basically shown us is that over the course of a year your brain shrinks from the brain damage wow. um, yeah uh, the basically the 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 um here we go so the earlier you start the more hits that you get the higher the magnitude of those hits all of this leads to the increasing of the shrinkage of the brain brain atrophy the encephalopathy the brain damage so much so that over the course of a year it's considerable and able to be shown on on on, on brain imaging which actually isn't that good brain imaging is quite backwards to be fair um, but it's, it's big enough to be shown uh, on brain imaging at, at a considerable extent on a, a dose response effect so the more of it and the more the magnitude the more shrinkage you get uh, and also the more psychological problems are happening uh, with these more hits uh, you know we, we you know we need to think about the future and what we're doing uh, with the kids for example uh, under offenses against a person a child cannot consent to harm mm. and no adult can consent to that child receiving harm on that child's behalf so we can't then say so this is um you know people say but you know, you've got the you've got the gillikin fraser competency test for kids and medical procedures uh, and contraception which which is a test to see whether they're capable whether they're competent to make a decision for their health and benefit 
Mm-hmm. That's different to consent to harm. Yep. Um, so a child is not deemed to be, which is anyone under the age of 18, is not deemed to be capable of consenting to, uh, to harm, um, and no adult is deemed able to consent on their behalf. So when a parent says, but he wants to do it, <laughs> uh, yeah. unfortunately, that doesn't wash. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's shocking. And I was like gobsmacked when I first came across this. Uh, you know, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I've got, you know, I'm called in to counsel the views of Professor Anderson, and I'm coming across the fact that he's actually right. And yeah, allowing children to be hit in the head under the age of 18 is actually child abuse by policy definition and contrary to all child welfare legislation. It's like, heck, you know, mm. people say, but, but, but it's not child abuse. It's not the same as, you know, it's emotional. It's neglect. It's physical. It may not be the fourth one, which is sexual abuse, but the first three are still categories of child abuse which are considered under the child under the policy and child welfare legislation has been just as bad as as, as sexual abuse. You know, child abuse wow. is child abuse. Sexual abuse is an element of that child abuse. Um, but you know, I don't want that. I don't want that label. Uh, I now realise you know it's a very emotive subject. Um, I put an editorial into the British Journal of Sports Medicine, um, and they shied away from it. Um, it, it kind of bounced between us quite a few times. It went through peer review, uh, and apart from someone from boxing trying to defend boxing, saying it's quite, quite, quite funnily, part of the peer review was the researchers obviously have no idea of how the combat sports operate, <laughs> which they kind of got a bombshell back with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I might just not, uh, but you know, the other reviewers were like, "Yeah, unfortunately, this is this is highly accurate. You know, it is an emotive subject." But, you know, we can't find fault with it. So it got back, got back through peer review, but they shied away from printing it because of the controversy that the term might cause. Uh, for example, they said, you know, you're, you're calling it child abuse, to which I said, I'm not. The policy is calling it child abuse. Yeah. I'm just stating what the NSPCC and the CPSU are saying and what the child welfare legislation is saying. It's, it's, it's shocking. Um, you know, and, and there's been a big backlash on it uh, uh, on social media from certain, certain corners. But we can't ignore it. You know, facts are facts. You know, I've, I've had to change my opinion. I went in to say, no, it wasn't. It's perfectly fine. And yeah. through education, I realized, oh, my God, what have I been doing? Yeah. Um, and I had to change my position very quickly. Because I hold being right far higher than being wrong and having to correct it. Wow. Well, that actually comes full circle, doesn't it? Right back to the beginning yeah. of the journey. Um, it's been a fascinating. Apologies to listeners out there if I've been incredibly quiet, but I've been listening. I've been learning and listening at the same time as you, which is one of the great things about doing these interviews. But, you know, that's been a, a, nearly an hour of fantastic conversation, Gary. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, thanks very much for having me on. I mean, it's, it's great. What, what I hope this um, this podcast will do is raise thought expansion. Mm. Like my friend J-Mac, uh, thought expansion. Um, perhaps it's something that people haven't considered. Uh, hopefully, um, some people uh, are now going to be taking action. Remember, you don't have the head injury protocols in place, an appropriate one since 2012. You're at risk of litigation. Um, I have offered my services to uh, uh, IMAF, uh, the British Judo Association. Uh, so far, only the BKC uh, have taken me up 
on 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 the uh, the assistance I've got there. I'm more than willing to help people develop these. I've got a paper in development for it. Um, the BKC actually contacted a few other people as well, uh, yeah. including these an Australian researcher, uh, Alex Channon from Brighton, has been working on it as well uh, because everyone has slightly different perspectives and views. Mm. So, you know, we we ignorance is no defence. Hopefully, people can start to think about what they're doing, realise that there are health implications and also legal implications. Uh, and if we're going to preserve our sport, we've got to wake up, we've got to smell the coffee, and we've got to take action. Absolutely. 2012 is the cutoff point. We're low-hanging fruit. Yeah, our sport, our design, is creating traumatic brain injury. We cannot get away from that. So we've got to act quickly before the government just pulled a plug on us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a very fine point to finish up there. There. Thank you very much. Again, thanks for your time. Um, I'm sure this is going to generate a lot of conversation, a lot of emails as well, I would imagine, from both sides of the fence, which <laughs> yeah, is absolutely yeah, fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. We welcome that. And uh, later on down the line, we could uh, revisit this topic again um, and uh, yeah. discuss where things are. So thanks again. Yeah. And we'll, we'll catch pleasure. you enjoy our podcast please remember to subscribe rate and review kick back with chris on itunes today wow so <laughs> lots of information there to take in uh, as i mentioned during the uh, the interview it, apologies if i was quiet at any point but there was a lot of listening and thinking going on from myself both you know um my own personal situation as well as my responsibilities as a coach and school owner an awful lot to to take on there um you know i think it, it's fair to say that there's a, a wide variety of of responses to this subject as a whole you know you've got some people that are you know, on, on one side of the fence that f- feel for their own reasons that you know it, it's just part of what we do and we just have to get on with it uh and then there are those that are starting to take a little bit more of a, a serious look at um what's going on and you know there's i don't think there's anything wrong with you know admitting that you know perhaps it's a, an area that you don't know as much as you need to know about i think i fall into that category i thought i knew enough uh, to get by but it's clear that you know perhaps i need to do some more study and some more research into this area and and um that that's how we move things forwards we're not going to get things right all of the time um, and pretending that we know what we're doing and we're, we're all you know we've we've got a handle on everything all the time is is, is counterproductive there's, there's there's always got to be room for acknowledgement that you know we do need to improve things and i think this is one of those areas that a lot of coaches and instructors um need to improve their understanding on um so if anything like gary says you know if this prompts some change in the industry and, and for people to to take note and and start doing some more research and putting more policies in place you know all the better okay so uh, moving on to um an episode i've got coming up uh, very very soon as I, as i mentioned in the previous episode um really quite sadly uh, the the industry the, the the martial arts movie industry and the performance industry uh, lost a fantastic uh, performer and and stuntman and uh, choreographer and, and fight arranger and director in Mr. Brad Allen, who is probably most well-known um, for one of his um, early fight sequences with Jackie Chan in the movie Gorgeous. Um, Brad was performing some of the most fantastic choreography and, and, and kicking movements, which is what initially caught my eye um, back in the day. It was sort of the late 90s. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Brad um, you know, late last month, and it's it certainly caused you know a huge shockwaves within the industry. And what I would like to do is to do a tribute episode 
uh, to Brad. So, you know, if you're out there, if you know of Brad's work, if he influenced you, if you've got anything you'd like to say, maybe a favourite fight sequence or memory, maybe you worked with him, maybe you spent some time on set with him and around his friends. Um, if you would like to send anything in, um, I'm going to be collating those clips, um, talking about him myself, how he influenced me in my career. Uh, it would be amazing to get as many people involved as possible so we can we can put something together to um, to remember Brad and, and, and his work and his influence in the industry. So, yeah, if you're interested, you can send something through to me either on WhatsApp, uh, on audio recording at 07802 For those people out there outside of the UK, a sort of international audience, if you use uh, 44 to start with, so it would be 447802. 889391. You can send me an audio clip there. Alternatively, you can send me an audio recording via Facebook Messenger. Absolutely fine. Or if you want to record something and send it over via email, you can do that too. All right. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, thanks again for your support. Please, please do share this episode far and wide because it's a really, really important subject. Um, and I'll catch you all again on the next episode. Brought to you by www.mitmaster.com.